Hello, you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can watch us live either on Facebook or YouTube. And if you're in the area, there's always a seat saved for you. We hope that this message encourages you to continue growing in humility and faith. Thanks for listening. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, which can be found on page 3 in the New Testament uh, in your pew hymnal. So listen now to God's holy word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, and just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that this morning, as we gather together to worship you, to lift up the things that are on our hearts, that as we hear the Holy Scripture read, that it may illumine us, that it may open our hearts and minds, so that we may feel the same Spirit descend upon us once again, reaffirming our call as your beloved children, reaffirming the truth that we are beloved and sealed in your holy love now and forevermore. Amen. This week we start a series of reflections on the idea and perhaps the practice of discipleship. And this morning we start off the series by looking at when discipleship starts in the act of baptism which we find this morning in the baptism of Jesus and recalling, as I said before, our own baptisms. From my experience, uh, since we mostly baptize people when they're infants, there are really two kinds of infant baptisms. One, when a child is quiet and smiles, and another, when the child decides to cry. (laughs) Both, though, are very endearing experiences. I have uh, fond memories of my own growing up in a Presbyterian church, not unlike the one here in Mayopac, where after baptisms uh, were done with children, the pastor would walk them around the congregation as they sang uh, the hymn that we will do after the sermon. Baptism, though, is something that is still practiced today, is very much an ancient rite an ancient ritual that symbolizes the beginning of a spiritual and a lifelong journey. The act of washing or cleansing of one's self, though, with water is not a new concept, though. Many religious traditions include the use of water in rituals as an act of cleansing or washing away evil or negative things or what have you. In Judaism, for example, there is ritual washings that involve either full body immersions or the washing of hands. Similarly, in Christianity, do we practice the washing of our hands and our feet at the time of Lent 
as a way to remember the service that Jesus modeled for us. Yet for us, baptism is something that is unique, something that is special, because it is only one of two sacraments, holy rituals, that we observe as Presbyterians. So there has to be something special about baptism, right? The act of baptism was necessary for those first followers of Christ, for the early church, really, because those early communities of faith would gather down by the river. And as they gathered down by the river, they would take off their old clothes and they would go down to be baptized. And after they were baptized, they would come out on the other side and they would often be presented with a new set of clothing, which symbolized their new birth in Christ. But you see, the act of baptism was more than just a way to welcome people into a religious community. It was also, in many ways, a funeral where people committed to giving up their former ways of living in exchange for something else. In some ways, we recall that as well as we say that as Christ died, so too have we died with Christ. And it's important to remember this aspect of baptism because these early Christians, they weren't sure what the future held for them. They could have been rounded up or sent to prison or any number of other countless punishments. So how they lived was a critical reflection of their faith, a reflection of what they held to be at their very core. For many in the early church, baptism was a radical act of self and communal transformation. Because after their baptism in the book of Acts, for example, we find that many early Christians found themselves living in community with one another. They shared property, they shared their income with others, they shared their food and other resources, and they set the needs of the community above their own. These were all parts of what it meant to live as a Christian community, what it meant to live as people who were claimed by the waters of baptism, a way to live without the pressure of having to judge another person's intentions, thoughts, or actions because it wasn't up to them. That was God's responsibility. There was trust, there was faith that any kind of judgment, as I said, was left to God. So the room that had been reserved for holding on to things opened up a space for charity and love in a way that not only transformed themselves, but transformed their very communities. In many ways, baptism and the start of this journey of discipleship quite honestly, seems to be naive. <laughs> because many parts of the Christian life don't seem to add up or make sense because they don't meet the expectations or the markers for success that the world has deemed appropriate. But isn't going against what we thought to be common sense the point of following Christ? You see, because following Jesus and deciding to embark on the journey of discipleship with the start of baptism is one of the riskiest, one of the most mind-boggling and questionable things that one can do in life. Because everything about discipleship runs counter to the common sense of the culture that surrounds it. The practice of turning the other cheek 
the practice of sheathing your sword instead of drawing it, the practice of loving your enemies seems to be intolerable and dare I say grotesque if you only live by the world's understanding of what love and justice is. And it only seems unappealing if we hold on to a fundamental concept of what good and evil is. But our discipleship, our baptisms, were not guided or grounded in a fundamental idea or construct because Christ is there. And as most of us know, when Christ enters into the picture, things never go our way. Because Christ will grab what we thought to be the only way to live and tosses it aside to show us something new. And this new path is going to be hard, and at times it will certainly hurt. It means being vulnerable with our hearts. It means taking risks and are going out into the community and to loving those who are in our community. And it means not returning hate for hate or violence for violence. Because our human understanding of justice, our understanding of love and mercy will not get us very far in our discipleship journey if we cannot comprehend the cost that such a path requires. Because love is at the core, the love of God, which is the law that is transcribed, that is written on all our hearts. What we need to understand is that when we were baptized, in that moment of our baptism, God claimed us and God sealed us in a divine love. And that baptism, when we decide to respond to God's love, calls us as I said, to a new way of living. Not just new in the sense that you decide to change a habit or two, but a revolutionary path forward that starts with a reminder that we are God's beloved and claimed in love that will never let us go either in life or in death. And that is the good news. That is the good news as we start our journey. That is the power that we carry when we consider the start of what it means to be disciples. Because inherently this act of discipleship, this practice of discipleship, is going to seem very confusing to a culture that thinks the opposite. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, writes this, that to the natural person, the very notion of loving their enemies is an intolerable offense and quite beyond their capacity. It cuts right across their idea of good and evil. Jesus, however, takes the law of God in his own hands and expounds its true meaning. The will of God to which the law gives expression is that people should defeat their enemies by loving them. Love, the love that we find in baptism, is a powerful force. It is so powerful that it makes evil, that it makes greed and selfishness tremble because the love that brings justice for the poor and the oppressed is frightening. It's a frightening thing to those who just want to hold on to all the power. I'm reminded of a cultural example of this kind of love put into practice in the form of one of my musical heroes, Pete Seeger, 
who on his banjo inscribed the words, this machine surrounds hate and forces it to surrender. In these words and in the words that Bonhoeffer writes, we are reminded that there is something more to life than just the governing principles of the world we live in, the culture that we live in. Because if the poor are fed, if the homeless are sheltered, if those who are sick and not able to give anything in return are healed, then we are living into the expectations that have been placed upon us at our baptism. And those things are products of what it means to love. To love in a way that the world deems naive. A way for us to live reflecting the love that we have received from God. As I referred to before, the old French baptism liturgy that says we love because God first loved us. Perhaps then we should spend some time thinking about our own baptism. Remembering the moment when God's spirit said to us, said to us, spoke to us in our very core. When God's spirit said, you are my beloved. That you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Reclaiming our baptism and the vows that were made is a practice we must engage in in order to reorient our hearts and our minds. Because in doing so, we might find that we can connect to the same spirit that has thrived throughout history, that thrived among the early followers of Christ who gathered, who shared what they had, made sure people, regardless of their situation, had a place to lay their head, and made sure that their mouths were filled without asking for anything in return. Again, if that seems naive, then it is. But only if we are judging it by earthly standards. Because there is a higher calling, a higher calling, the way of Christ that God has set upon us to live as disciples, to be physical manifestation of God's hands and feet in the world that is yearning for something new, something different. It is a counterintuitive way of life that is meant to shake the very foundations of the world we live in. So as we partake of such work, may we remember that when our journey started, however many years ago, you don't have to share, <laughs> that we were claimed, that we were claimed and we were loved before we even knew it, as people who were loved by God. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.